0: The following is a teaching message from the Chapel in Te Atatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. This morning we're picking up on our journey through Genesis and we're in chapter 2, and we're picking up from verse 4. And this is like the third perspective on the story of creation that we're given. The the first perspective comes in Genesis 1 where the focus is on God as the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's like, story finished. That's what God did. And then we moved into uh, verse 4. And we tell the story of creation as the... Uh, sorry, in verse 2, the uh, right through to, to the beginning of, of chapter 2. Uh, the, the focus is on creation, the, the seven days of creation, the six days of God working... Creating all things, and then on the seventh day, creating the Sabbath. And now, here we are in Genesis chapter 2, from verse 4, where we read the story, the creation story that focuses on us, on our humanity, on our human community, as God creates human community. We read. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, no, now no shrub had yet appeared from the earth and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed, from them, from the, formed a man from the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden and from there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon and it winds through the centre of the land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the fruit from the sorry, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die. The Lord God said it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Here in this moment we have this incredibly beautiful picture. God's amazing creation. And here in this magnificent garden there are God's image bearers. Male and female together in perfect partnership they are together in perfect relationship if you remember the rest of the story this is the last perfect relationship this is the last moment of perfect relationship the first and the last if you want to see perfect relationship this is the only place you're going to find it because we get to Genesis 4 they have two boys and one of them kills the other perfect relationship stop and start and stop at this point see everything's about to change and we'll look at that next week but for now in this moment this is God's perfect creation in fact God declares it to be very good but before he got to the point of declaring it to be very good we've discovered in this reading this morning that there's a point where God says actually there's something that's not good it is not good for man to be alone. That always fascinated me because, you know, I would have said, but God, man wasn't alone. He's got you. Here is man with the Godhead present. Later on we find that God would walk with them in the cool of the evening in the garden. And yet God still declares that the man is alone. There is something about human relationship. You know, there are people who say as Christians, I only need God. Well, that's not what God says. It says it's not good for a man to be alone. We need human companionship. We are built, we are created for human relationship. The plan, as we saw it two weeks ago, was that God would create mankind in his own image, male and female. However, this week's reading reveals that even as God works out his plans and purposes, while he is more than able to speak an entire universe into being in a moment, he still chooses to take time. Unlike us, God is not in a hurry. All the things that we want to happen yesterday, God could make happen yesterday, but God is not in a hurry. Frustratingly so. See, God takes his time not because he has, but because he chooses to. It's not that he can't hurry, he chooses not to hurry. He's got a greater purpose at work by taking things slowly. Not for his sake, but for our sake. There's something more important at stake. For example, if we look back at creation, his day of rest on the seventh day, he took it, as we looked at last week, for our sake. God didn't go, man, it's been a long six days, I need a day off. He knew that we would need to rest. As I said last week, we were created to rule over creation. But God is the one who rules over us. He is our king, he is our greatest priority, his kingdom and his righteousness, doing his will, reflecting his nature. And so God sets us an example, he stops, and he rests. And he makes provision for us by creating the Sabbath and making it holy. An opportunity for us to take time to stop from the busyness because God has given us things to do and he's given us abilities to do these things but he says but there must come a time when you stop and you pause and you remember the why. Not the what. Not the things that I've given you to do but the why. I have created you in my image. I have created you out of love. I have created you for relationship. That's the why. And so we pause on our day of rest to focus and to remember and to give glory to him. If we want to have another example of God acting slowly, we can look forward to the end of time, to the return of Jesus Christ and to judgment. And 2 Peter tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to return, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His patience is not to buy us time. He's not patient to give us more time to carry on sinning and and figure out on the last day, well, maybe he's coming back today, so i better sort my life out. He's not giving us opportunity to do our own thing. He's giving us opportunity to turn back to Him. He will bring judgment on sin. He must bring judgment on sin. And in some ways sooner the better. In fact, there have been plenty of days of recent where many of us have probably cried, God, send them back. Jesus, come soon. However, his love takes priority over his wrath. He is far more concerned He is very concerned about our sin but He is far more concerned about our salvation. But make no mistake judgment will come one day. And when it does come it will be full and final. But in the meantime God has sent His Son. See God could have executed you know, next week we'll look at the fall in the Garden of Eden God could have finished it all then. He almost did when we get to the flood. But God's love says, I've still got a plan. I've still got a hope. I've still got a purpose. So I will take my time. As much as it grieves him to see what unfolds in the meantime. But he still takes his time. Jesus is still drawing people to himself. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. All will be drawn, not all will come. However, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves because sin and its consequences come and God's plan of redemption and the story that lies ahead. Uh, but I want to highlight this principle. God often acts slowly for our benefit, not because he needs to. So when he acts slowly, we need to look and see what is the reason for him acting slowly? And I believe in this case it's because his focus is not on getting the job done. His focus is on teaching us about intimacy of relationship as he creates humanity. You see in verse 7 we're told that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. (laughs) Beginning of creation God says, let there be light and there was light. God doesn't go, let there be man and there was man. He could have done it that way. A little bit later in the week he says to the land, let the land produce. And the land produce. He doesn't say let the land produce man. He could have. And he could have stood back and just watched the dirt come together. He stood there. Or knelt there. I, I kind of picture God in the flesh. Kneeling there, shaping a man Isaiah says it this way, and I love the fact that you know we think Jesus taught us to talk to God as father. Isaiah here uses that word. he says, "Yet you Lord, our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hands. This is an intimate relationship of the Father shaping you. It's the idea that God shaped you. And I love that we are the clay, you are the pot. We are all the work of your hands. Not just Adam. We are all. God is shaping all all of us. That intimate connection and relationship. If that doesn't give us a sense of value, I don't know what does. And I believe God wanted to communicate to us a sense of value. I have shaped you with my hands. And then he says, and I have breathed my spirit into you. I have breathed into you the breath of life. Anyone else here like watching David Lomax Investigates? Anyone watch it this week? Young man in Wellington who was part Māori and part Cook Island Māori. And he was wanting to meet his father. Well, unfortunately, his father had passed away, but he got to go back to the Cook Islands, one of the islands in the Cook Islands, and to meet his two brothers, his half-brothers. And when he met them, he said, can I hold you with you? And I got the impression that the half-brothers were happy to do so, but they weren't too sure what it meant. And he said, because when we share the breath of life. I love that imagery. I love that Because it speaks of intimacy, it speaks of sharing life, of sharing the most foundational thing, our breath. And God says, that's what I do having shaped you from the dust of the earth. He says, I knelt down and I breathed life into you. I didn't speak life into you. I breathed life into you. Our relationship is not to be distant. Our relationship is to be personal. Not only had God been busy creating the universe and the earth and the plants and all the creatures, in verse 8 we're told that God had intentionally planted a garden. Any of you who have got gardens know they don't just accidentally turn up. You go and consciously plant a garden. Well, God consciously planted a garden. He planted it in the east, in Eden, a real garden and a real location. As I read that passage so often in the past, and it talks about this this river that flowed from Eden and where it all, you know, where the... This, a head broken to four headwaters and where those rivers flowed. I thought man that's just, why is that there? But it's realising this is a real place at a real time. Located in reality, not a mythical story. And so God plants this garden in the east in Eden. It's a designated area for man to live. In time, man will multiply and fill the earth and they will rule over the whole earth. But right now, that's just too much for one man. So God plants a garden and says, this is where I'm going to teach you. This is where I'm going to train you. This is where I'm going to place you. And so God places the man in this garden. And it's a place that's rich in beauty. The other thing that uh, Margaret and I when we were watching David Lomax the other day going, We really do need that holiday back to Rarotonga. We had one booked. In fact, we were confirming it on the day we went into lockdown one. There's something beautiful about the islands. Just the nature, the the native beauty as God created it. And so in this Garden of Eden, rich beauty, so many trees, trees of all kinds that were... You see, get that phrase, because it's here. It's not just in Genesis 3. These trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But two trees get a special mention, and they're located in the middle of the garden. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So many good trees to eat from, so much good provision. But just don't eat from that one. But more on that next week. For now, we come back to God's declaration. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. You know, this relationship between the man and the helper is such an important relationship. It's no wonder that this relationship has been under attack more than any other relationship. Right down to today, the enemy's greatest attack is on this relationship between a man and his helper, the man and his wife. Even as I've just referred to the man and his helper, there may be some who go, what do you mean the helper? She's his wife, not just his helper. But that comes down to what our distortion of truth is. See, for a start, I say, well, the word helper is good because, firstly, it's not my word. It's the translation of the word that is chosen in the original Hebrew. But if you take a few moments then to check out where that word is used elsewhere, one example, one very simple example is Psalm 33, where we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. There is nothing second class about being the help. There is nothing second class about being a helper. God is our helper. And so the man Adam is not enough on his own. As I read once, who needs help, the weak or the strong? The strong do not need weak help from the weak. Adam was not enough on his own. He was not complete. God is with Adam, but he had still not found a suitable companion. Still, God declares, declares that the man is alone. If we look at the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we see and reveal throughout the Scriptures this perfect union of, of three beings. There's three entities. Now, we don't understand. I can't, you can't get your head around this, but it is talking about the very nature of God. And if we could get our head around it, then God's probably not much use to us. But there is this perfect ent- union of three entities, three beings of equal power and glory, and perfect submission to one another. They're not jockeying for position to be in charge of the Godhead. They know their wrongs. God the Father speaks out creation. Jesus is what he speaks out. And the Holy Spirit is brooding over the waters. Right through the Gospel, right through the Gospels, you find the story of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect community. There's no power relationship. There's no separation. There's no division, other than allocated responsibility. There's no need for. It. There's no jockeying for position. There's just this mutual love, mutual love, and mutual submission. I'm not sure who it is but someone coined the phrase that I think they talked about the divine dance the divine dance the Godhead together in perfect unity and God said let us make man in our image so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them in God's perfect creation the man and his helper, the man and his wife two beings perfect Perfectly as one. One flesh. Each bringing something different to the relationship, but in mutual love, mutual uplift, and mutual submission. You see that reflection of the unity of the Godhead to be reflected in the unity of a husband and his wife. But it also expands to all other elements of community, all other elements of human relationship. Because where do we learn human relationship? We learn it in the home. And if we see it in a husband and wife, if we see it in our mother and father, they model it for us and we live it out in community. And when, when we attack the foundation of marriage, when we attack the foundation of the family, it is not surprising that as the generations pass, we see a fracturing of the entire culture because we are not taught what loving mutual submission looks like. We just want to get what we can get for ourselves. In Ephesians 5, 5 verse 21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on in 5 verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And again, the tension comes up among some. Wives, submit to your husbands. But again, the resistance, the pushback grows, not because of the word, but because of the abuse of the word, submit. Because Paul has already said, submit to one another. And then he goes on in verses 25 to 28. He says, "'Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church "'and gave himself up for her to make her holy, "'cleansing with her by washing with water through the word.'" and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or without blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, one flesh. He who loves his wife loves himself. If this picture of Christ loving the church, of giving himself up for her, humbling oneself to lift up the other, perfect love, if that image isn't one of submission, What is it? For key did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He submitted himself, became obedient even to death on a cross. How much that's changed our lives, but how much that sort of behaviour changes a marriage. And how much learning to submit to one another changes every other human relationship. Think of all the conflict we have out there. And if you can't think of any, just have a look at this morning's paper or yesterday's paper. There is so much. Why? Because we're all going for ourselves and for our own stuff rather than using what we have for the mutual benefit of all because we don't understand what it is to submit to one another. And part of it is because we have not learnt that. In families, where a mum and a dad model that for their children. And so the relationship that God wanted for Adam was a relationship like he himself experienced for eternity. God knew what it was. For eternity, he he spent eternity in this love relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he wanted that for his creation. That's why it wasn't good enough for man to have God. Man needed someone more of his own. Peer. To share that community and relationship. Mutual submission. And after bringing all the animals to man, God declares and he demonstrates to man that there is so many beautiful, wonderful creatures that you know. can you imagine, we, we, we see the picture of the animals filing onto the ark but can you imagine all of the birds and all of the creatures filing past Adam as he gets to name them but in all of creation there is none that is Adam's equal so God puts a man into a deep sleep and he takes a rib from his side and from it he fashions the perfect companion. Matthew Henry. Now, if you, if, I love reading Matthew Henry's commentaries. And he wrote it about the same time as the King James has written. So it's in that kind of English. So sometimes it's a little bit challenging. It's also just after the Reformation. So you can be pretty harsh on Catholic theology. Um, but I love reading Matthew Henry. And Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage notes that if Adam being created first gives him priority, which when you read Paul's writings, 1 Timothy uh, 2.13 and 1 Corinthians 11 verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about the priority that Adam has because he was created first. Matthew Henry says that if Adam has priority because he was created first, we must also remember that man was created after all of the animals. So being created last doesn't make him a lesser creature. In fact, Matthew Henry says, Adam is the best and most excellent of all. Eve's being made after Adam and out of him puts an honour upon her as the crown of the man. If he is the head, she is the crown. A crown to her husband. A crown, the crown of the visible creation. As God reaches the apex of creation, He creates man, male and female, he creates them. She may come second, that does not make her lesser. He then goes on to say, and I've known this this, uh, quote for years, that the woman was made out of the rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. I know some equals come up there with like, we don't need protection. Actually, women do need protection. Because if you think about what we were created to do, we were told to go multiply and fill the earth. Well, apologies to all the blokes, but our job's done really short time frame. And then a woman carries that child for nine months and then a woman raises that child to adulthood. If you send a bloke off to war after he's conceived a child and he gets killed at war, it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. But the woman needs to be protected because we cannot lose the woman until she's raised the next generation. It's not she doesn't need to be protected because she's weak. She needs to be protected because she's important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Until we understand the truth behind Genesis 1 and 2 that they hold in terms of the relationship between male and female as God created, as God intended, we will always misunderstand and misconstrue other passages that speak of the relationships of men and women within marriage, within the wider community, and all the other relationships that we have with people because that model for human relationships is, pla- is, is invested in humanity in this moment and it reflects the nature of God relationship within himself and that final verse and Adam and his wife are both naked and they felt no shame they had nothing to hide But soon everything will change. Almost everything. Our world will change. Our relationships will change. The entire creation will change. But God won't change. God's plans and his purposes won't change. That which he intended in his creation, he will continue to work out. When we read the story and we come to next week's story and the fall and the rebellion, it's easy to think, man, suddenly it's all gone wrong. God must regret it. And the scriptures talk at times about God having regret for what he's created. But he knew the beginning from the end. Or the end from the beginning. When God started, this is why the Bible talks about the Lamb who was slain since the creation of the world. Before God got into the story, he knew what was going to happen in Genesis 3. And he knew what you and I were going to do, but he loved us so much that he still created. Why? Because he had lived forever in community, and community cannot be selfish. Community of its very nature wants to multiply itself. Love wants to give. Love wants to include. As we reject God's rulership, so much changes. However even as this beautiful creation is thrown into confusion, God's plan for humanity, for human community, his plan, his hopes, and his aspirations remain. May we continue to seek out and serve and align our lives with God's plan for human relationship, from the foundational relationship of a husband and wife and into every other human relationship. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from The Chapel in Atatū. For more information about The Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz